God, dig that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, repeat after me. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Sab. Well, top of the afternoon to you, young Jamie. It's at the afternoon. I'm feeling a little sluggish today, I'm going to be uh, honest. I well, indulged a little much yesterday. I know, we've got cloud cover, so it could be anything from 9 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Wow. And we've had a bit of rain. We have. That's been jolly exciting. It's been good, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah. You know, when I was young, when I was about... When was that? Mm, uh, barely yesterday. Yeah. I think when I was about eight... I decided I was going to be a ballerina. Right. Because mum used to take me to the ballet. And when it rained and when we had summer thunderstorms, I would go out into the back garden and do the most magnificent performances. To a huge crowd. To to the dogs <laughs> uh, and the chickens. Yeah. Um, and I always... it was the It was the energy of the thunderstorms that... Just would get me cranking. Right. So uh, that kind of got you going and found you yeah. some energy and. Yep, absolutely. The dogs applauded. Yeah. The chickens laid eggs. It was mm-hmm. marvellous. Everyone came around for a look. <laughs> Sab the ballerina. <laughs> well, we lived in the country, so thankfully no one could observe it. Well, I'm hoping for a thunderstorm now. Just because <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing, <laughs> seeing a bit of that. Interesting to know that I was wacko even back then, really. You've had it all this time. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't performed a little um, ballerina um, uh, show? show for a long time. Well, come to think of it. We're getting closer to winter, so have, <laughs> might have a few opportunities, I reckon. I might work on my repertoire. Yeah, why not? Get into it. I'd pay to see that. All right, there's the challenge. Next thunderstorm. Righty-ho. Yeah. yeah I'll, work, I'll work on a few moves. Let's get into some ballet work. <laughs> I'll do it if you do. No, I won't. That's do I have to wear the tutu and tights? I'll leave that up to you. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, and I think that would be appropriate for me to decide. <laughs> However you feel comfortable, Seb. Yeah, fair hey, enough. We're talking wetlands today. We um, are. We're going to talk about the importance of wetlands and we've got some guests that we've brought in. Yeah, a couple. Shed a bit of light. We've got two guests. Yeah. First time we've had two guests on, isn't it? I don't know. I reckon we might have had... A double up before. Oh, did we? Yeah, maybe in the early days, season one. <laughs> anyway, we've got Deborah Bowie from Microblitz, and she's a spokesperson for the Friends of the Eric Singleton Wetlands Group. Hello, Hi, Deb. Sabrina. Thank you for coming. And we have Angela Rosson, who's a biodiversity educator with the School of Biological Sciences at the University of Western Australia. Welcome, Angela. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. It's um, it's a pretty big topic, wetlands, isn't it? Because it's sort of that's going to cover many, many, many different things, and lots of Perth, and lots of Perth, yes. So, um, tell us a little bit about the Eric Singleton Wetlands Group. Okay, well, the Friends of Eric Singleton Wetlands. We started up about two years ago, and we were born out of the fight to save the wetlands, not the Eric Singleton bird sanctuary itself but the little associated wetlands in that area and uh, once we'd won that fight and we were able to save the wetlands from development we now sort of started a group to restore and protect that area and to keep it for future generations so that everyone could get out there and enjoy it. And how important are wetlands to the ecosystem of Perth? 
Well, I think that Perth's ecosystem, natural habitat, was really a wetlands habitat. And now we're in a situation where Perth has lost about 80%, more than 80% of its natural wetlands. So it's really important to preserve what's left. And I think um, that's how our river system is really interconnected. And the remnant wetlands that we have are really interconnected. So every time we remove even just a tiny wetland, we're destroying the fabric. What's the impact? Can you see the impact in areas where wetlands have been developed and maybe turned into, you know, a housing estate or something like that? Can you can you see the runoff effect into the, oh, the area around it? There's a loss of um, wildlife. There's a loss of biodiversity in the area, and there's a loss of um, for even just people being able to get out in the area. We're losing all those natural spaces. So, Angela, can you tell us a little bit about the, the kind of biodiversity that we'd find in a wetland? Wetlands are amazing places. Um, what people often forget to look at is the tiny things, and the whole of nature rides on the back of tiny things. We have to remind ourselves that we're part of the natural systems, and although we drive in our cars and we um, have got fancy um, digital devices and talk on phones and fly in aeroplanes, actually we can't survive without nature. And it's those tiny, tiny things like the, um, the little invertebrates that hold everything on their shoulders. Um, and and um, that's what you find in abundance in a wetland and you only have to stop and look and it's really exciting. And you uh, go to schools as well, don't you? And, and um, teach kids about the biodiversity that you find in natural areas. Do you think that children are gaining a much greater understanding of the biodiversity in urban areas more so than, say, people in my age? Well, no, no, I don't think so at all. Um, we're curious animals. Mm. And um, I, I actually don't presume to teach children. I take them out into nature, children and their communities, and we do biodiversity surveys. And I invite scientists from my uh, research institutions to join me and share their knowledge. And we discover things. And, you know, if somebody says to me, what's this? The first thing a scientist will say to you often is, I'm not quite sure, let's look it up. And I I'm an artist after all, not a scientist. So I've got heaps of field guides and scientists who come with me and we discover together. And people our age and, you know, oh, well, I don't look a day over 20, but I must admit to 60. Um, <laughs> People our age are just as curious as children. We are children inside. Mm. You know, I love the way people come to these events and, and sometimes kids got a bit of difficulty pushing up to get their place at the microscope. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So you were saying that it's the, um, the little things. It's the little things that, we, uh, that are very, very important within those systems. Can you talk about what some of those little things are? Well, the tiny um, macroinvertebrates, for example, there are also the microinvertebrates. They're a little bit harder to see if you're doing community field day. Um, but the macroinvertebrates are easy to see in the merest scoop of water from a wetland or, or, or from a river or from the ocean will yield a bucket full of exciting creatures you could spend the rest of your life looking at them. Mm. You just need the wherewithal to, to be able to see. Um, which is just generally just a bit of magnification, and the interest. And the more you look, the more you discover, the more you want to discover. And that's what's wonderful about us humans. We are classifiers and storytellers. We, we want to discover things. We want to talk about it. That's what science is. Mm. That's what all of art is. We, every single one of us has got that in us. 
So, Deborah, you were talking a minute ago about the the um, linkages of wetlands. So, mm. that's something. Unless you fly over an area, you you probably don't understand that that the wetlands are actually interconnected with each other. Is is that the case here in in WA? It is the case in WA, and like Angela, you know, I was. I'm also about 20, but when I grew up... (laughs) I didn't laugh. (laughs) Uh, When I grew up in Perth, um, I reckon that almost everyone who had the privilege of growing up in Perth last century uh, probably had a wetland at the bottom of the street. Uh, So so we grew up with that and knowing that they were in every suburb, Dog Swamp, Well Up, Nangara Lake System, all of those places... And I'm lucky enough at the moment to live in Bayswater and I see that interconnectedness. We've got Bagup wetlands, we've got the Eric Singleton wetlands and we've got Gobber Lake, all within a lovely 20-minute walk of each other. Uh, And that interconnectedness is really important and you see that the animals um, that use those wetlands, uh, they need those corridors. Is the... In terms of the the longer term, is the exposure... To what you you see and find out at those wetlands around the corner from your place, almost as important as what they offer the the ecosystem across WA. I think it's uh, Angela and I were talking about that this morning. As people become uh, living in more urban environments and built up environments, those borrowed landscapes that we enjoy they're really important. And Angela made the point: nature is really important to people and how they feel and. There's, uh, you and I were talking earlier about that walk down the pathway of the Eric Singleton wetlands. You park your car, you get out of your car and you just feel instantly better. And I've had so many people tell me that walkway, just being that tunnel of Melaleuca trees that you walk through, it's just stunning. The smell's different, the feel's different. I'm a bit of a stressor. As soon as I walk through there, I feel like I'm away from everything that doesn't really matter. That's what people tell me. It's just fantastic. It's a good spot. So in, in view of the fact that uh, many of us will actually just be um, staying at home in, in their own state, uh, <laughs> and um, do, do you think it's an ideal time to try and get people out into nature so that they can actually discover exactly what's just on their back doorstep? Do you well, think that How fantastic would that be? Because, you know, often we go overseas looking for something that we've got some amazing stuff on our own doorstep and explore your neighbourhood. There's very likely to be a wetland rem- uh, remnant wetland that you can go and visit. You can be part of a friends group. Many of them have a friends group that you can join. Um, they will have activities, uh, for example, in July, August this year. Our wetland group is going to be planting 6,000 trees. That's the sort of an activity that even in the current environment that you can go and participate in Mm. because you're outdoors, you're not going to be next to people, those sorts of things. The other thing to say is to join the Naturalists Club. They're an amazing group of people who um, teach each other, share their knowledge and go on walks and rambles and, and really discover our own endemic biodiversity. So why do you think nature has a a calming effect or sort of a positive effect on people's mental health? Um, (laughs) Well, that's not a hard one to answer. In evolutionary terms, we need nature. And we can can fool ourselves with our fancy devices, but the fact is we need nature. It it, um, soothes the soul. 
and we long for it. And, um, you know, nature's very close. You don't have to go far. I do an interesting things with, thing with children throughout Western Australia. I say to them, go into your garden and photograph a particular bush at dawn every day and see who comes to live on that bush, what, how it's predated, how it's colonised. Actually borrow your mum's phone and film all the little animals that are on that bush. Now, I did that in my garden. I discovered such wonders. But just to give you an example and to encourage people to do this, I found I had uh, peacock jumping spiders in my garden. <gasps> Oh my lord! We talked yep. about them. I remember yeah. those ones. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. They're very, they're very, very small. Our little local species that we have here in the metropolitan area. I'm in Fremantle, so yeah. it's very sandy soil. Well, we've all got sandy soil. Um, they're around about um, four or five millimeters long. You can hardly see. You really got to get down, lie on the ground, and have a look. And there was a beautiful, colourful male putting up his little lamb and going, how about it, darling? How about it, darling? And I got a bit worried because I thought, where is the blushing (laughs) blushing maiden? And I was rewarded because there was the little hairy damsel with um, little spiky hairs on her legs, none of the loveliness of her male partner. And there she was playing off a couple of the boys against each other on my little bush in my garden. Get out into your garden early in the morning and see what's on your plants. And then decide to plant native plants because that's what we need. What a beautiful love story. Yeah, how about that? (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. Uh, Hence another reason why we should not be using insecticides and pesticides. Uh, Absolutely. People don't actually understand how many spiders live in the garden. Like there's heaps and spiders are the most remarkable. I have um, Jamie's met him. I've got Brian that lives in the bedroom. He's a black house spider. The, the um, best fed, the most well-fed house spider, I reckon. He's kind of built his nest in a really bad place, but I know he hairs around at night time because I see him. But um, I, I, I serve him up breakfast sometimes with the flies that I smack in the kitchen and I drop those in for him and he's ever so grateful, claps his little hands together and off he goes. He spoiled that one, I keep telling you. you <laughs> can I, can I well. just tell you another little story? I had a spider, I remember looking up the name of it at the time, it was a white spider with brown markings and it was in um, one of my bushes in my garden and it was on my morning lookout list. One morning I had a look and realised it was a female and all her babies had hatched. So these tiny little white spiders were all letting fly with their little string of <gasps> spider silk and I arrived at that moment. So if you're not in your garden you won't see it. Mm. So be in your garden. Be in your reserves and parks. You talked about that we've lost 80% of the wetlands and you've obviously been involved in trying to protect a few that are still around, but but how, how tough is that fight? Is it a, a constant battle to keep these areas protected and away from further development? It is, um, and there's a group, uh, Jane Chambers was going to join us today. There's a group called NatureLink and they're trying to bring together different representatives from different wetland groups, um, different bushland groups, and trying to help the government form policies and implement those policies so that there can be some protections. And that's part of the reasons why we had to fight to save the Eric Singleton wetlands, because there were no policies in place. Uh, The policy seems to be one more geared towards the developers rather than protecting those natural areas. So hopefully when their groups such as NatureLink um, are advising 
that people will be listening. So do you feel that that's changing a little bit? Are there uh, are guidelines coming into place that, that maybe look at things in, in total a little more or is it still a nope. bit of an uphill battle? <laughs> Definitely. Uh, <laughs> you can tell by the look not. on my face. What was interesting that we learnt during the fight is that those guidelines were actually in place as draft guidelines as far back as 10 years ago and we're still waiting for those mm. to be implemented. Mm. So they do exist um, but there seems to be some resistance to having them uh, approved and, and put in place so that when wetlands are proposed and there are developments there, that there is some guidelines to say, well, we need to look and see Do you know what's what we're going to be missing. totally crazy about that is that, you know, Western Australia as a destination has become, just in the last five years, has skyrocketed for tourists, international tourists in particular, they probably won't be coming this year, but um, <laughs> and and people from the eastern states are coming to Western Australia because we still have those wild places that aren't wild, but they're actually full of biodiversity. So in Western Australia, there and is so unique so much is our biodiversity. Absolutely, and people are craving that now. They're coming for that. That's an enormous income, you know. But do you think that? We're losing a lot of our bushland and wetlands and, and woodlands. Do you think that as a species we've actually removed ourselves from that whole system of nature, that we no longer see ourselves as part of nature well, as a species? We asked the question before, why is it so important? And I'm sitting here thinking, well, because we're part of it. Mm. Um, but lots of people seem to have lost that connection. And you regain that connection by actually being there in those spaces and, as Angela's saying, by immersing yourself in those spaces and taking a really good look. And it's very important. I know that as soon, if I come home from work and I'm really stressed and tired, first thing I do is I grab the dog and I start walking, get in those spaces. Um, some cultures, there's things like forest bathing and people have come to know that that is so good for you. I, I'm just visioning myself forest, forest bathing. I never knew. It, I never knew it was called that. I've done a fair bit of that in my day. You've been doing it for years. <laughs> just another name. There you go. But can I make a suggestion? And that's about actually connecting with nature. Um, our phones are amazing for photographing at a macro level. They are stunning. And you can buy a very cheapy little lens that you click onto your phone, which will turn it into times twenty-five microscope. And it's very, very fun actually to go out and photograph nature particularly tiny um, mushrooms they're everywhere and they're absolutely divine they're so various and so beautiful that's a good idea yeah Get a little macro lens just yeah, make sure that's all you're using the phone though right you know <laughs> that's that's always the temptation when it comes out of the pocket that you start checking your emails yeah well don't that's things, right. right yeah put on airline mode yeah and and it's a great way to get kids involved you know give them a phone where just a camera works and nothing else works and and the Children have got a, a task to, to, to make a dossier of beautiful images. Um, it, it's an it's a important communication in our era. Children need to be able to make fabulous images and they have to be taught how to do it and mm. it's a fun thing to do. Just on imagery, you're obviously an artist, but what, what role does art play uh, in people's connection to, to their environment? Well, that's where I teach. I teach children and their communities how to actually draw and paint nature and we make um, huge murals that are actually diagrams of biodiversity from the smallest to the largest things, the plants and animals in a particular um, environment, could be a wetland or woodland or a river or whatever, 
Um, and uh, we create these beautiful paintings together. Fun way to learn. Yeah. How do people get along when they're all working toward, you know, one mural and everyone's got their little roles? Oh, well, play? it gets, it gets, it's managed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a free-for-all. Right. You know, like, any, it's like playing music. You can't have everybody pamping on a trumpet all at once. Not everyone gets it's, the solo, right? Well, everybody does get a solo because everyone paints something on the painting, but it doesn't all happen at once. It's a highly methodical process. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Get I your paintbrush, Sab. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, I could I could move shift from my ballerina career uh, and merge into into painting, perhaps. It's funny because Nat paints, right? Yeah. And I love her work, but I was saying to her just recently, and I don't have an artistic bone in my body on that side of things, but wouldn't mind setting up an easel next to her. She's got the stuff out and just having a crack. I think painting, fun. I haven't done much painting apart from the inside of the house. Um, Pretty good at that. But, but it'd be, I think it'd be quite relaxing and fun. Can I make a suggestion? Yes. Um, drawing is the essence of all artwork. Right. If you're going to make a sculpture or a painting, you need to be able to draw in the first place. Get a pencil and a little notepad. It's all you need. Okay. And a little sharpener. Make sure the sharpener catches its, its um, sharpening so you're not spreading them all over the place. Go outside and sit and draw a plant. It's a beautiful thing to do. And take inspiration from great artworks. Philippa Nikolinsky is a oh. hero here in Western Australia. Look is. at her beautiful work. Buy her beautiful books and be inspired. And and um, Pam Negus, she's yep. an amazing artist. All We've the bags. Got incredible <laughs> botanical artists yeah. here in yeah. WA. So look at look at inspiring work and then get yourself a little sketch pad and a, pen, a 4B pencil and go out and draw. Afternoon sorted. Um, if I go check out a wetland, wh- how can I ensure that I'm not disturbing what I shouldn't? Are there, are there kind of some ground rules for... for yeah, uh, so luckily in Perth, um, you know, many of them have pathways around them. Uh, Herdsman Lake is the uh, penultimate example in Perth. You can walk around and you just need to spend a bit of time waiting on the sidelines and, and being in that space so that the animals that are using that space are used to you, you're not, you know, running through their... Um, you know, playing loud music or anything. Or you, you have to have your dog space. on the lead too. Well, let maybe leave the dog at home mm, sometimes. Lots of wetlands, um, you know, don't like you to bring your animals down there. So just spend some time waiting on the sidelines and they're quite camouflaged, a lot of them, like the night herons. You need to wait and see. They'll get used to you being there and they'll move and they'll forage. Uh, you'll see the long-necked turtles. Uh, you need, They're really well camouflaged on the logs and things that, lie in the wetlands yeah can i, I reckon just it'd be fun going to the wetlands at night it is oh and it's oh, fantastic the noises and yeah. the screaming of the birds and the frogs all the different sounds and it is amazing at dawn just before yeah. the sun comes up and then you just sit quiet take a little chair just sit quietly something that's worth mentioning is cats do an unbelievable amount of damage mm. they kill native species in mm. our reserves and wetlands so if you have a cat keep it in at night it's it's really important uh, the city of Coburn, I see, have just uh, released a statement saying that they're going to ban cats um, in that in that suburb, uh, which is, you know, that's going to rub a lot of people up the wet. The well, look, it was proposed, and it's for it's a new proposed, development, yeah. and the idea is that new developments will not have cats. Yeah. So that's under discussion. Yes. So I think that's a really, you know, that goes to show that that finally people are getting the message that domestic cats cause enormous amounts of damage to 
to all our other species. Well, to species that are struggling to survive in what are essentially remnant wetlands and woodlands. So so the areas where they thrived have been cut down. Mm. So so we we really need to do everything we can to protect mm. them. Yeah, keep them inside. It's yeah, pretty simple, right? Yeah, keep them inside on, yeah. or build a run for them. And, you know, I know quite a few people that love cats and that's what they do. Those cats are inside cats and they're very happy. They're not, they're not saying to each other, wish I had a couple of rare frogs I could chow down on. You know, <laughs> quite happy with a tin of... Um, tuna yeah the whiskers goes okay um well i reckon i got a bit of homework for this weekend and the next one get down to a wetland sub yeah well i'm i'm all for it i think there'll be a lot of people over the next few months that are going to be very unsure with what their future will hold um and as you ladies have just let us know that one of the best things you can do for your soul is to actually get out into nature, whether it's your backyard, your wetland, your woodland or your bushland, and just actually sit quietly. I think one of the most important things I learnt from going up to the Kimberley and going out in remote areas with women elders, the thing that they taught me the most to do was to shut up, sit and listen Mm. that's true that's the most important thing i think i've ever learned in my entire Mm. life i agree so that's what you do when you go outside jamie i was just taking your advice sorry i was just (laughs) i was just shutting up and listening which might not be the best (laughs) advice for a podcast could i just add something to that and that is every wetland and woodland needs to be looked after and um if wherever you live there's some friends of group near you and it'd be lovely to join it. You meet people, you meet your neighbours, you have a fun time, you're working together for a common purpose. And it, I'm telling you, it grows community. It's lovely to be involved with other like-minded people for a greater purpose. Thank you. That's a beautiful thing to end on. Yeah, I agree. Uh, thanks so much, Deb and Angela. Good to see you. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Good to see you too, Sab. You too, Jamie. I'm going to take a whip off me tutu and pick up a 4B pencil. All right, and I'm going to just shut up and listen. <laughs> <laughs>